But let me open us with a word of prayer, and then we'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, we need your mercy, we need your grace, and you abundantly provide those things to your children, so we say thank you. And part of the mercy and grace that you show us is allowing us to be a part of a church family where we can come and and bear one another's burdens. And Lord, I pray for our time here today in Sunday school and then in the main service. I pray that we would see our responsibilities within the body of Christ. And Lord, you would encourage us to use our giftedness to serve one another. And Lord, I lift up these uh, specific prayer requests that have come in this morning. I pray for wisdom for the doctors for Kathy Allman with her cancer. And I pray for strength and, and wisdom and patience for she and Phil as they're waiting on the results of this test. And I pray that the results would come quickly and there'd be a good treatment plan in place. Pray also for Wendell to have wisdom, Lord, as he has at least initially decided not to do chemotherapy. I pray, Lord, that you would give him wisdom and in this follow-up meeting with the oncologist that all his questions could be answered and he could be at complete peace with whatever decision he makes. And I pray for Keith's brother Kevin and his wife as they travel and relocate. Pray that they would have safe travels and they would be able to find a good church and to be able to walk with the Lord wherever they wind up. We pray for the Monticellis with Brianna's coming home last night. Pray that you would give them wisdom to know how to encourage and to help Brianna, but also to to have the wisdom and discernment to know whether her repentance is genuine or just a temporary phase. But Lord, even as that, we pray that you would work in Brianna's heart, that, that you would break her heart and that she would truly repent and turn to you for salvation. And I pray also for John and Beth that you give them wisdom as they seek out the doctor's wisdoms for the best treatment options for the issues that John faces. And, and Lord, for the few requests we've shared, there are 10 others or 20 others or 100 others just in this room of prayer requests, Lord. Pray that you would meet the needs of our heart and that the requests even that weren't spoken, you would already be working to bring about your perfect will in each one of those situations. And Lord, as we open up your word, pray that you give me wisdom to communicate clearly what is in your word. And I pray that each one of us would listen with ears to hear and would be contemplating ways that we could apply your word in our lives. We ask all this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we are finding ourselves, we are continuing in 1 Peter chapter 4 and Today I'm going to try and complete the section that I'm in which runs from 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 7 through 11. Let's go ahead and I'm just going to read this section and then I'll provide some context and then I'll jump into what is going on. Beginning at verse 7 of 1 Peter chapter 4. The end of all things is near, therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so 
as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, as we have been going through this section, as I always come back to, Peter's paramount focus in this letter is holiness. He wants us to be holy as God is holy. The more I've studied this over the years, I'm convinced that's the ultimate point of this book. I read it almost every week, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 to 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. No matter what the circumstance, no matter the trial, no matter the challenge, Peter exhorts us to press on and live holy, to be a light in darkness. To live in such a way that the unbelievers around us, who may at times mock us, might ultimately be convicted of their sin and repent and believe, in part because of our good example of what the gospel is like. And as we have jumped in through and we're in chapter 4, Peter has placed a sense of urgency in what he's talking about by that reference to the end is near. Now we've actually covered the first verse 7 through 8 over several weeks, but the end of all things is near is really pointing to the time when Christ comes back for the church. And the idea is that we should be ready. Uh, Again, I'm just giving a summary of prior teaching, but the idea is that we should be ready. Jesus has said many times, you don't know when I'm coming back, you don't know the hour, you be ready. And that's Peter's exhortation, and obviously that fits into holiness. He wants us to be ready, and we always have to live in light of the return of Christ. Made challenging by the fact that Christ hasn't returned, and we can be lulled into a false sense of security that, well, it's not going to be today. How do we know it's not going to be today? Because it wasn't yesterday. Well, that's not good logic and that's not a good mindset but the urgency that goes with the end of all things is near plays out in our minds he wants us to think a certain way certainly he wants us to act a certain way but he says at the end of verse 7 therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer sound judgment is just talking about how we think and interpret the events and the circumstances of life when we look around how do things happen how do they fit into things and sober spirit is closely related again it's a mindset but it has to do with interpreting things in part spiritually understanding things in their context but understanding them in a biblical context and his whole focus of that is if we do those things we'll be more effective in praying the believers to whom he was writing had all kinds of hardships many of them persecution many of them suffering Peter didn't command them to pray. He assumes by the phraseology that we'll all be praying and the idea is that we're praying all the time. So he's saying if we think with sound judgment and if we have sober spirits, we're going to be able to pray more effectively. The implication being that'll be a benefit for everyone else, but it'll also be a benefit for us. And when we get into verses 8 to 11, and I started covering verse 8 last week, what we really see is a practical outworking of holy living amongst other believers. So we're 
in light of the fact that Christ could return, the end of all things is near, we have to be ready, and we should be thinking correctly and interpreting things correctly so that we're praying more effectively, we also have two essential tasks within the body of Christ, and that's what's in verses 8 to 11. And I covered the first part of the first point last week, but I'll repeat the point as I'm finishing up my review. The first essential task within the body of Christ is that we must love one another. We must love one another fervently and sacrificially. And I get that from verse 8 and 9. We covered verse 8 last week. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. Now, when he says, above all, he's talking about a paramount Christian duty. It should be something that drives everything that we do. And it makes sense, because Jesus' second greatest commandment, after the greatest commandment of our love for the Lord, the second greatest commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. And our neighbors extend beyond the church, but within the church, certainly, we have a paramount duty to love one another. Jesus in John chapter 13, 34 and 35, made this clear. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So it makes sense that Peter is telling us a paramount duty above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. And the idea of fervent means working hard at it. It, It's strenuous. It goes beyond just feeling like it. It means you're making every effort to truly love one another. And every time you see that reference, one another is talking within the body of Christ. Each one of us. This is a reciprocal duty of all believers. Every person in this room Every person that's a part of Lakeside, we're supposed to love one another and we're supposed to keep fervent in our love for one another. Again, this is still a review and this is sort of summarizing last week. But he gives a reason. Certainly we do it because Jesus commanded it and we're commanded. But he says, keep, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Now, as I developed this last week, it is really critical. This is not only how we live holy as God is holy, but it's how we keep peace within the church. And the idea is that if I'm fervently loving you, it doesn't mean that my sins go away. It means I'm going to be able to respond biblically if you sin against me. If we're loving correctly, we're not going to be so quick to take an offense. If we're loving correctly, we're not going to be wanting to lash out and and expose somebody for how bad they are. We're not going to whisper to ten other people in the room, "This they did this to me, can you believe they did this to me, they did it again. No, we'll, we'll at times be forbearing, but also, if there is an issue, we'll address it privately, personally, which is what the biblical command is in Matthew 18. So the goal is to to be able to live in peace as the body of Christ to enable us to serve one another. And to do that, we have to have that fervent love that keeps us 
from holding grudges. It keeps us from keeping account of sins. It keeps us from being gossips. It keeps us from trying to tear someone else down even if we think they deserve it. Again, it's consistent with Scripture. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. Proverbs ten twelve. Love addresses things personally, privately, for the desire to make sure, if possible, somebody can repent and nobody else has to know about it. So that's a very, very quick, let me catch my breath, review of everything that gets to the point here. But we're actually in the middle of the first point where I said we must love one another fervently and sacrificially. The sacrificially part we find in verse 9 because we see another command and it's a reciprocal duty once again to one another. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. And as we look at that, what we see is that there's two components of this. There's an action component, what we should do. There's a heart component of the attitude we should have while we're doing it. So the practical action, let's look at that first because this is really just about love. He says, be hospitable to one another. The word hospitable is translated in some versions to read hospitality. But the original idea here was of helping strangers. Not of helping the people you know, of helping complete strangers. And the idea was they were helping strangers who were believers. And they were welcoming into their home, providing them with lodging, providing them with food. And they were doing it regularly now part of the issue at that time was that Christianity was moving there were evangelists going and taking the gospel to places there were pastors who were traveling to take the gospel to places there were Christians who were being run out of one town going somewhere else and at that time there was no network of hotel chains to accommodate people there was not an easy reference where you go on the internet and you book a room In fact, the experts would tell you that most of the places in that day and age where you could even rent a place were full of debauchery. Places of illicit, immoral actions and drunkenness. And in general, the types of things that Christians would never want to be anything associated with. It was even dangerous to be in those areas. So if a Christian was moving from point A to point B, when he got there, if there wasn't another Christian to open up their home, he was out of luck. She was out of luck. There's no place to stay. They wouldn't have food to eat. So it was considered a crucial mark of the Christian faith that you would practice hospitality, that you would be hospitable to other believers. I read several commentary, well I read commentaries every week when I'm studying, but this idea is not original to me. I read it from other people. They were saying the early spread of the gospel could not have been accomplished without hospitality, without people being hospitable, because they wouldn't have even been able to move from place to place. 
In fact, the duty of being hospitable, the duty of practicing hospitality is so fundamental, and I'm not saying was fundamental, I was telling you historically, but it's still fundamental to our responsibilities, that it's one of the requirements for an elder of a church. For example, in 1 Timothy 3.2, one of the qualifications, these aren't suggestions, one of the qualifications is hospitable. Likewise, and it's a, if you don't have a ministry to widows, a lot of times we overlook this, but there's biblical qualifications for widows that wind up being helped by the church. There's age qualifications, there's how they live, but one of the things that you're supposed to evaluate before you put a widow in the church on the widow's list is if she has shown hospitality to strangers. So when Peter is exhorting us to have fervent love for one another, one of the manifestations of that fervent love is a willingness to reach out and help other believers, even if we don't know them. Again, this isn't just helping the people that we like or that we want to talk to or the people that we're interested in and they're really cool or they're from some place. It's helping any believer that needs help. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 35 to 40, we have some strong teaching of Jesus and it illustrates to me hospitality. It's not to me. I mean, it is what it is. But I think Jesus' teaching is sort of the focus and the impetus for what Peter is talking about. In Matthew chapter 25, beginning at verse 35. It's a familiar word. You'll recognize it already. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. That's what Peter is talking about. That type of heart attitude that wants to help. But there's a heart attitude that's really critical. Not just the desire to help, but the desire to help with the right attitude. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. Without complaint. I think most of us at some point have had at least family come to town. You have people come and stay at your house. And it's kind of a nice thing for about the first 24 hours. (laughs) And maybe the visiting's fun, but the first time you're waiting for the bathroom and I can't take a shower and there's no hot water. And you know that it's going to cost more and the food bill's going to go up and all these things. It's inconvenient to allow your house to be opened up. It's going to disrupt your way of doing things. It's going to disrupt your schedule. It may cost you some money. People that you invite in aren't always as neat as you. They don't always have the same priorities as you. They don't go to bed when you do. They don't wake up when you do. Here's the whole point. If you are showing love such that you are being hospitable, it may inconvenience you. And Peter 
I think in essence is making it clear it's one thing to be hospitable, but if you're complaining the entire time, you've missed the point. You've missed the point. It's not a matter of, I can't believe this, I'm being a martyr for Christ, woe is me. No, it's an opportunity that God has given you to show love. Thank you, Lord. That I'm giving an opportunity, that I'm given an opportunity to do these things for other believers. Now, we're never allowed to complain. When our kids were little, I heard Debbie say this thousands of times, I think. Philippians 2.14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Her version was grumbling or complaining. Why do you say that? Because kids know naturally in their sinful state to grumble and complain because everything doesn't go their way. The problem is even as believers we have that same tendency. But again, we need to have the right heart attitude that says, you know what? This is an opportunity from the Lord to serve the body of Christ. I want to take advantage of it. Now here's a bit of a challenge for us. The application of this truth might look a little bit different to us. It might look a little different to us than it did then because most Christians traveling can find a hotel room. Most Christians traveling don't have any problem finding a place to eat. You go five feet and there's another restaurant. But that doesn't mean that this doesn't apply to us with full force. We just have to look for where are those opportunities where we see believers in need. You think through all the things that Jesus was talking about. Providing food, providing water, providing shelter. Now certainly we do have opportunities from time to time. Sometimes a missionary will be coming to town and needs a place to stay. Or maybe they need a vehicle to drive. Or certainly I think it's being hospitable when we go out of our way to provide meals for somebody. Or to reach out to them. The point is to have the mindset that says, I want to serve, I'm looking for opportunities to serve. We have hurricanes come through, somebody needs a place to stay. I think for all of us, me included, at times we're so focused on me and my family that we lose sight of the bigger picture of the body of Christ. These are the reminders that say, look for opportunities to meet other needs. The possibilities are endless. It's the hard attitude that says, I want to serve. And Lord, it's not an inconvenience for me to serve. Or even if it is an inconvenience, it's one I'll gladly bear because I want to show love to my brothers and sisters, even if I have to sacrifice. So the some total just thinking, are we willing to be inconvenienced for love? And the answer has to be Yes. Even if we don't know the people. I think of the opportunities that the Lord provides. And I wish we had more of them. But when God gives them, be quick to jump on them. So there's two essential tasks that I take from these texts. The first is that we must love one another fervently and sacrificially. And the second has similarities we must serve one another selflessly we must serve one another selflessly you can already see that there's a similarity in how these things are phrased and there's a similar outgrowth because our serving in part comes from love but verses 10 and 11 Peter 
lays out some biblical truths, truths that you could spin and go down a side road and have a long discussion on some other things. But it reads this way, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. Now, there's a lot of information here. And I think we're going to see, though, that this really all fits together. It fits together better than I even originally thought when I was first studying it. I thought it was saying something a little bit different. But I think I get the gist of it here. And so we'll just kind of break this down. First, it says, each one has received a special gift. In this context, Peter is talking about spiritual gifts. The supernatural empowering of the Holy Spirit in the life of every believer. And the clear implication he is stating it explicitly, and it's consistent with other scripture, is that every Christian has at least one spiritual gift. Maybe more than one, but every single believer has at least one spiritual gift. As each one has received a special gift. Like I said, this could easily lead into a side road of teaching on spiritual gifts, which, which I'm going to resist the temptation to do. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in the course of a longer discussion of spiritual gifts, we see this in verses 4 through 7. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. In other words, again, each one. All believers. And the gifts are not the same. They're different. And that's okay. Romans chapter 12, verses 6 to 8. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. There are other listings of spiritual gifts. There are other descriptions of spiritual gifts. But all these different things, service and teaching and giving and mercy, as each one has received special gift. None of us is left without. Each of us has received some gift from the Lord and the spiritual gift or gifts that we have been given are not for us. They're not for our pride. They're not to build us up. They're not for us to feel good. They're not to make us feel closer to the Lord. The gifts we've been given are to serve others. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. That use of the term stewards just make clear we're entrusted with the gift. It's not our possession. It's something God's given us and we have to steward it. We have to use it wisely. 
And the way we do that is by employing it for serving others in the body of Christ. You're going to hear more about this in the sermon that I'm going to preach this morning. It all fits together. The exhortation. The idea is that we are supposed to be gathering as believers and interacting as believers with the mindset of, I can do something for someone else. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 to 25, there's a command that you don't forsake gathering together. But it's all for the purpose of serving others. Verse 24, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. In other words, how do we stir up other people to do the right thing? Verse 25, not forsaking our own assembling together is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So again, the idea is that we're supposed to be gathering together to stir up others, to serve others. Now, in light of what I was recently preaching, and I'm going to preach some more on today, our church is full of hurting people. We understand that. And there are times when each of us probably feels as though we're trying to crawl into church like a hospital because we're so beat down and we're so worn down that we desperately need the Lord to build us back up. And I understand that. And there's nothing wrong with coming to church for the purposes of growing in the Word and of being rejuvenated and other people encouraging you. It's a good thing to be encouraged by the church family. It's a good thing to be strengthened by God's Word. But let me challenge you a little bit to go beyond that. There's an American mentality of efficiency. And unfortunately, we can lapse into it where we think of everything that we do and all uses of our time as what's in it for me. How does this benefit me? What do I need? The challenge for us is to come to church with the mindset not only of what do we need, but also what can we give to others? How can we help them? You've been given a gift. Even if you're hurting, you still have gifts. Let me challenge you. Each week when you're getting ready for church, think, how can I serve today, Lord? Maybe it's just coming up and offering a word of encouragement. Maybe it's just praying for someone. Those are not minor things. Not everybody's going to do what Pastor Steve does. That's okay. You still have a gift that you're to use to encourage and stir others up and to build up the body of Christ here at Lakeside. You've been given a gift, a special gift, and you need to employ it in serving others. That's why you've been given it. Now, originally I thought verse 11 was shifting gears a little bit, but what I realize, and certainly some of the people that I studied helped me understand this a little bit better is I believe that verse 11 is really just showing what using your spiritual gifts might look like by focusing on two different types of classes of spiritual gifts. So he starts verse 11, whoever speaks 
is to do so as one who is speaking the utterance of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So let me break this down because I think he's talking in general about some people who exercise special gifts in the realm of speaking and some who exercise special gifts in the realm of serving. So he says, whoever speaks, some people are going to speak, but he's talking here still about the special gift. So whoever speaks is a recognition that some spiritual gifts are exercised orally. This isn't just a general talk about, well, when you talk, do this. No, it's, it's talking about your use of your special gift. Some people have teaching gifts, preaching, evangelism. Some people exhortation. Some people perhaps even giving a testimony. Maybe even within some context, sometimes when people are singing, it's exercise. And Peter is just trying to make sure that as you're attempting to exercise any special giftedness you have, any spiritual gifts that involve communication, that you do it with sobriety and carefully. What do I mean? Whoever speaks says to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Now, in no way is Peter saying what some distort this to mean, which is God's giving out new revelation. Oh, I got something new to say that God told me. I got something new. That's not what he means at all. What he means is, if you're exercising your spiritual gifts and using words, then in a sense, you're acting as a representative of the Lord. Be careful. So, for example, when you're encouraging, you're always on good ground if you're encouraging from the Scripture. If you're exhorting, you're always on good ground if you're exhorting from the Scripture. I've heard a lot of Christians with good intentions, give terrible advice. Because it's not coming from the Scripture. They've got to be careful. Is this speaking what the Lord would speak? The Bible makes it clear we have to be careful with what we say. And some people have to be even more careful. For example, in James chapter 3, 1, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. So Peter's point is not to paralyze everybody and make us scared. I'm not going to say anything now. I don't want to mess up. That's not it at all. The point is just be mindful that as a believer in Christ, if you've been given a gift in the vocal realm, you need to be very circumspect when you're speaking. Be aware that you're speaking for the Lord. I am... Probably there's nothing I enjoy more than preaching. I just love it. I'm thankful when I get the opportunities to speak in the pulpit like I will have in a few moments. I I, I love to do that. But I can tell you after having been a pastor for 12 years, and I preached a lot before I was a pastor officially, every time I preach I'm still uneasy. I'm not afraid of speaking to people. Obviously, that's something I was able to do. But I realize I'm speaking for the Lord. That'll scare you to death. All of us should have a little bit more of that type of sobriety of spirit that just says, you know what? I'm trying to encourage, but I'm the Lord's representative here. I better be very, very aware of what I'm saying. 
So some people would have speaking gifts, and then some would be gifts more in the area of serving. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. Again, there's a variety of listings in the scriptures, and most commentators that I've read would agree that even those listings aren't exhaustive, they're just representative But if somebody is a leader or they show mercy or they're doing administrative things, any type of service within the body of Christ that doesn't involve speaking, caring for others or helping others or meeting their needs, Peter's point, I think, is to always remember that we're not doing these things in our own strength. We've been gifted by God and God is the one who empowers us to be able to exercise that giftedness of serving others. I think there's a couple of reasons of that. One of them is it's good to remember that because we get tired and we think we can't keep going. Yes, you can. Because God's the one giving you the strength. If God's giving you an opportunity to serve and you think, I can't really do it. No, you can. Because God is going to provide the strength for you. He's going to enable you. But perhaps even more so based on what follows immediately is the issue is don't ever get to the point where you hurt your elbow Or your shoulder by serving. What do I mean? You're patting yourself on the back so much. I can't believe I was able to do that yet again. Let me use the other arm because I'm tired. This is great. (laughs) Oh, I got my hand up first. I'm serving. I'm doing. It's never about us. Even when we serve. Certainly we exercise our diligence and our efforts. But the Lord gets the credit, not us. Any profitable service we render to other believers, even in that, we should be thanking the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for giving me the strength. Thank you, Lord, for giving me the opportunity. And I think Peter's concluding words highlight that. So that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Never do we get the glory. It's never about us. Certainly it's important that we act. Certainly it's important that we put our energies into it, that we serve with the right attitude that we serve cheerfully that we look forward for the opportunities to serve that we want to show love by serving but everything that's being talked about is all pointing back to what Jesus has done in our lives what we are because of Jesus Christ should bring glory to God that's what it's all about Everything we do is for God and His glory. Everything that we do is because Jesus Christ saved us from our sins. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, certainly that should be paramount. That should always be the overriding consideration. But every of the specific things that Peter has talked about in terms of our loving and our serving ultimately aren't even about the glory of a Sunday school class or the glory of Lakeside or the glory of the pastors or the glory of the people. It's all supposed to point to the glory of God through Jesus Christ. And Peter adds a little doxology here. To whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. And it's just a perfect fitting culmination of why all of this is here. 
sort of an exclamation point of what our holy lives are supposed to be doing for the Lord and for us. My prayer for all of us is, of course, that we be holy. It's a prayer for me, it's a prayer for you. Be holy as God is holy. But my prayer is also for us to understand that holiness is never occurring in a vacuum. Years ago, I used a sermon illustration of an article I read of there's some tower in the middle of some place that I don't even remember where it is anymore. And a guy would climb up on a tower. It's just a rock face. They'd build a ladder up there. And he'd climb up there because felt like he was close to God. Well, I guess if God's up, you're closer. But he'd just sit by himself. And the idea was that you're communing with God, you're getting closer to God. That absolutely is disastrous. That's not bringing glory to God because you can't use your giftedness to serve the church. You can't serve and encourage other people. You can't do any of that if you're isolated or alone. I'm thankful that we have live streams so that people who can't come to church have the ability to be fed the word, but it can't ever become a substitute for the interactions that we need to have with others. For each of us, my prayer would be that we would be looking for how we can serve other people here. Not just for our sakes, but so that God can be glorified. And this is something that has no age limit. There's no retirement from this. It never ends. If you're breathing, you need to be loving and serving other believers. Let me close this in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the church. I thank you for giving us the fellowship with your family that comes through gathering with other believers in a local context. And I pray, Lord, that as much personal strength and encouragement as we draw from being here, that you would impress upon our hearts the need to look outside of our own interest and to be concerned with the interest of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, I pray that you would show us ways in which we can show fervent love for one another, ways in which we can show hospitality to one another, ways in which we can serve one another, perhaps through vocal gifts where we're speaking, or perhaps just through quiet service, but in all of it, Lord. Pray that you will help us realize that we're supposed to be doing this for your glory. That you will encourage us and strengthen us to look for ways to love and serve others. And that through that, others would be drawn to praise and glory for you. We ask these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.